Welcome to True Independent Media, Real News Live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Real News Live, or actually Saturday Night Live uh, on a Saturday. It is, Happy New Year, by the way, it is a Saturday, January 2nd, 2021. It is 2021. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm here. I'm your host, Mike Barron, Seattle, along with our guest TV's Blake Wally, somewhere east of California, and Candace Whitelight from the snowy confines of Montana. Blake, how are you doing tonight? A long day. I won't get into the yeah, it's little car troubles, but uh, I'm here and it's great to be here and it's good to see everybody and looking forward to Saturday Night Live. Wouldn't miss it for anything. All right. And Candace, how are you tonight, sweetie? Um, I'm doing good. It's uh, been an interesting day. Had a long conversation about everything from uh, massive uh, consciousness upgrades to uh, deep embedded systems. So it was pretty technical. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Tonight I am once again drinking my favorite Jeremiah Red from BJ's Brew House, a nationwide chain of breweries and pubs that have some pretty good food too. And I am going to pour it into my Seahawks victory glass because they're playing the 49ers tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon in a game that is the last game of the season, but won't really change much of anything except maybe the Seahawks playoff position. So, but it's still my Seahawks victory glass. Uh, it's great to be here, guys. What are what are we all drinking, Blake? What do you got there tonight? Uh, well, since it's New Year's, I got some, a few cans of champagne. I, I got this uh, Dark Horse. Oh. I got a night with the Brute. This one's the uh, Rosé, but whatever. Yeah, I should have gone out and gotten, got some champagne. Uh, Candice, uh, Candace, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I'm drinking um, tonic water that's made by a company called Q. Q. <laughs> that's cute, as they say. All right, uh, guys, there is um, so much news and so many things have happened in the last couple of days that I really don't quite know where to start. So what I'm going to do is just, uh, oh, first of all, I want to thank a couple people. Uh, Jeff Williams, thank you again for the contributions. Adam, uh, Amber Thalberger, Scott Silk, especially. Thank you guys. And I am getting your signups for the January 31st uh, remote viewing class for with Jennifer. I'm getting your signups. I've got 10 so far. If you sent me the money, I'm pretty sure I've got you guys all in here. I don't have the list in front of me, but Thank you for that. I'll probably try to read the list before we go home tonight. So uh, I guess the question really is, you know, where to start on, on the news segment and uh, the discussion we're going to have. But I, I, the place to start I'm going to go with is actually it's a story from CNN where uh, President Trump abruptly returned to Washington. Fuck you, CNN. Why are you doing this to my screen? Abruptly returned to Washington ahead of Republican plan to disrupt certification of Biden's win, as if Biden actually won, which he didn't. But this is very odd because on New Year's Eve, the president had planned to spend New Year's Eve in Mar-a-Lago. There was a party that was there that everybody was told he was going to attend. And instead, he suddenly got on Air Force One and flew to Washington, D.C. The really interesting, bizarre part of this, though. Candace and Blake, is that at the same time, Mike Pompeo got on board Air Force Two and flew back from, I believe, Indiana to Washington. 
Jane uh, and John Huber boarded a plane in Utah where he's the uh, U.S. attorney for that district and flew back to Washington. And there are, by all accounts, there were uh, there was a heavy high level White House meeting that night that took place between all of them. Uh, and, and it's really interesting because then shortly after that, Secretary Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, began to put out um, the next day a series of pictures. And he kept putting up big challenges, great team, securing America's freedom, talking about swagger. And here he shows president with uh, himself, Mike Pompeo, but a bunch of other military guys of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, including General Miley or Millie, who I think is a traitor, but uh, they showed uh, that picture. Then he showed a picture of him uh, with Steve Mnuchin with the same caption, uh, big challenges, great team securing America's freedom. Then he showed a picture of Attorney General William Barr, Elton Barr and him. Same thing, uh, you know, indicating Barr's on, on our side. Big challenges, great team securing America's freedom. And then he showed another picture, and this is the most important one. Big challenges, great team, securities, securing America's freedom. It shows Mike Pompeo, it shows President Trump, and it shows Gina Haspel. Now, Gina Haspel has not been seen in public since the whole Seidel Skittle server thing that took place in Germany. And all the stories came out that she had been basically interrogated and flipped over and was turning states evidence. I believe this picture is from... A, a previous event. I don't think it was anything around New Year's Eve. I don't think this is a concurrent picture of Gina Haspel, but she has not been seen since then. But what's really interesting is that you see to the right of this picture, you see that next to President Trump, there's somebody at the podium speaking. And others have gone and looked and said, well, who is it that he cut out of this picture? And the answer is Vice President Mike Pence. So the question is, why would he cut out Vice President Mike Pence if they went and had a meeting uh, that night? Well, it's pretty interesting because Lynn Wood, formerly the president's attorney or somebody who's working for or with the president, um, has been attacking Mike Pence relentlessly on Twitter. Um, he basically said that, you know, look, Mike Pence is a traitor. I'm trying to get down. Oh, yeah. Mike Pence should resign immediately unless he publicly states that he will reject electors from states where fraud occurred. A man of God would never certify a lie. Every lie will be revealed. Every lie means every lie. Always has, always will. Now, this seems to imply something about Mike Pence. And then he went on a, on a series of uh, other attacks. People are calling him nuts. They're saying he's insane. But as far as I know, the president in no way, shape or form or anybody closely associated with the administration has repudiated anything that he has said at this point. And then tonight he posted, or two hours ago, yeah, he posted again. Wow, do you think Vice President Mike Pence did not get this tweet? Maybe Mark Meadows blocked, that's the White House Chief of Staff, blocked my tweet for Pence and did not let him see it. But I suspect he will get the message soon and will reject the fraud or resign. Better yet, he should reject the fraud and then resign. And then we begin to get... Um, some very, very bizarre stories. Basically, this is actually apparently true, that uh, after he presides over the counting of the Electoral College votes in the Senate as president of the Senate on June 6th, that Mike Pence is going to immediately leave the country. He's traveling to several other, uh, other countries on some sort of diplomatic trips, apparently. And then came out the rumor, guys, 
that um, this has started overseas in the UK that Mike Pence had resigned or that he was about to resign because he just couldn't work with Donald Trump anymore. That's what was the mainstream media was putting out. Now, that indicates to me that the mainstream media put it out because they're trying to um, isolate Mike Pence and make him out to be a bad guy. So, you know, we got a whole bunch of other news to talk about here still, guys, but Blake and Candace, in that order, I want to get your takes on what you think, what the hell is going on with Mike Pence and Linwood? And, you know, the rumor is that, that at that meeting at the White House that Pence was asked to resign or forced to commit to doing something. I don't know, Blake, what do you think? What, what the hell do you think is going on? Well, I love watching it. Uh, Lynn Wood is, yeah, just making huge waves all over Twitter. He's trending half the time. Came out of nowhere, and he's just, yeah, dropping bombshells every day. Because he's, so he's a defamation lawyer, so he's got to be very careful of what he says. And I guess he's like one of the top guys in the country, if not the world. And, yeah, he's been saying just, whole, like, just crazy hyperbolic stuff, and it's been awesome. And he was even called, yeah, firing squads, like the all kinds of treachery, traitors. I mean, he's just throwing this stuff around and calling major people out, including, you know, Biden and, of course, uh, Justice Roberts, um, calling for resignations, all this stuff. I, I So I really don't know. I mean, I'm enjoying this show. I've got my popcorn handy. Um, it's been great watching Lynn Wood, and we don't know what's going to happen with Pence, and there's so much speculation depending on what outlets you look at. I don't know what he's actually going to do, and then there's the Gomert lawsuit, or whether he's that's going to apply, or he's going to sit down, or maybe he resigned, or I, I don't know. But it's been uh, it's been delightful to watch. That's it. It's been pretty exciting, and yeah, again, again, I didn't mention, of course, Lynn Wood's previous target was uh, Chief Justice John Roberts and uh, Supreme Court Associate Justice Stephen Breyer. He attacked them relentlessly, basically said that they had been attacking President Trump, that they were bought out and compromised, and they both needed to be removed from the Supreme Court one way or the other. Okay, Candace, I just want to deal with this part of it right now. We got other stuff to cover here still, too, and we both know a lot of what that is. So let me ask you, what do you think is going on with, uh, with Mike Pence and let's just kind of stick with that. What what the hell's going on with all this stuff? Well, I kind of looked at it today from a perspective that is <clears throat> kind of coming around to the side. Um, I think what we've got going on is just delay tactics. Um, this whole thing on Wednesday is not going to be resolved on Wednesday, no matter how you slice it, because each time that one of these states is contested and they've got now 12 senators i guess lined up that are going to stand up and say we do not accept the vote from the state so then they all have to go to the back of the the uh, room or in, into a conference room and then they have two hours to talk about it so you can imagine i mean this is going to take all day into the night and into the next day in terms of actually going through these six states and determining what it is that they're, you know, going to do. I don't think that Pence is going to have any part in it other than just saying, you know, this is how the electoral vote and uh, then you're going to get the objections. They're all going to go into the conference room <clears throat> and it, it's going to happen over and over again. So we've got a situation <clears throat> that can do nothing but delay. And that's where it kind of gets down to. Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, something's going on. Okay, we don't know what it is yet, but there's something going on with this vote. 
And and I, I just find it I find it fascinating that um, everything now is focused on Mike Pence, that the the guys are saying they're going to change this. Don't forget, Jennifer told us that, oh, gosh, I think that counting of the electoral votes is going to be delayed. It's not going to happen on the 6th. And of course, if these objections take place and a decision is made to maybe throw it back to the different state legislatures for them to maybe consider redoing their votes or something, I mean, we could have a number of things. Basically, it could go the the presidency could go to the House where it will be vote by constituency, one vote for each state where President Trump will likely win. <laughs> make him president. It could be that the vice president simply says, I'm choosing to accept the electors, the Donald Trump electors from these seven disputed states and throw out the Joe Biden electors. He appears to have that power to simply say, I'm going to choose that Mike, that, uh, you know, Donald Trump is the president. That would cause probably a lot of problems. Um, or he could simply say, you guys have to redo your elections. And we're not going to count these votes unless you redo your election. So we could have new elections. I mean, Gosh, Candace, it's all up in the air and there are any number of, of possibilities here. But what I find fascinating is that the mainstream media is pushing this Mike Pence has resigned narrative. So in that spirit, I wanted to read you Simon Parks, our friend, P-A-R-K-S on YouTube, did an update today. And by the way, I'm going to try to get him on the show here at some point. I've, I've contacted him through my buddy, Ted Marr. Um, and he's talked about a couple. He talked about a couple things. And Candice, you'll be interested in this. Uh, he did confirm. He says that there are two hundred and thirty thousand sealed indictments now, and that the meeting that took place was, you know, to plan the next steps heading into the new year of what they were going to do. What he said is, Mike Pence has not resigned. That's what his information is. Is that Pence absolutely has not resigned. He didn't say whether or not he thinks Pence is a good guy or a bad guy. We still don't know. But he has been saying that he believes Donald Trump's going to be declared the winner of the election on January 6th and going to be inaugurated on January 20th. We'll see if that slides a little bit. But he said that Pence has not resigned. The other thing he confirmed, and I do have another piece from him in a minute, is that 230,000 sealed indictments do exist. He says that they do exist, that the whole dispute over whether they actually exist or not is out, uh, out, you know, completely gone. And that, in fact, what Huber, the reason Huber needed to be at that meeting is that he brought copies or the documents, all 230,000 sealed indictments to the president. So he would know the names of each and every one of the people named there. That's what Simon says, <coughs> Simon Park says, is going on. Now, meanwhile, other stuff leaked. Some Anons were putting out some interesting stuff. And uh, I, I'm just gonna share this guy with you guys and read, read along, do a little read along here, which is pretty fascinating. Okay, so this came up, uh, this came up a couple of days ago before the end of the year. Um, believe me or not, it doesn't matter. The 6th of January elector, this is just an Anon on one of the boards. The January 6th elector ballot count is going to go down as the greatest troll of all time. You may or may not know, but the vice president gets to count the electors. That's the one thing the Constitution makes crystal clear. Apparently, the plan is for Mike Pence to roll in a Dominion voting machine or a knockoff that looks like one. He's going to then pull out a USB drive, update the software just before the count, and use the machine to count the elector ballots. Remember, this will be on national television. The count will not only come out fractional, as the real vote did, 
which is impossible, but it will result in more votes than actual electors and the result uh, and result in Trump winning more electors than Biden. The chamber is expected to erupt in chaos. Obviously, the count will be challenged. Pence will then conduct a recount, but he will use the machine to print the recount ballots and then hand count those. The recounted number will be similar to the original count, only changing by a couple votes, but it will then but it will result in Trump winning by even more than before. Dems are then expected to cry fraud and Pence will object and call for order. He will tell them that it's too late to challenge because it's already done, which is what the courts have kind of done. The count is finished. He will then deliberately wipe the machine's software. This is a rough sketch of what is being planned. I don't know the exact details, but Trump wants to fill D.C. because this is going to be, as he said, wild. I don't know if Pence ultimately throws it to the House after the chaos or fully certifies Trump's win in this matter. My source wasn't sure. I think they're still working out details. I hope you're ready for the salt to flow. Trump is a showman first and foremost, and he's putting everything into this. Um, guys, I just got to get, before we move on to the next thing, I got to get your opinion on this. Uh, let's start with you, Candace. What do you think about the possibility of that actually going down in that way? Well, we're going to have all the players there, right? right. This is the big thing about that uh, particular event is everybody's coming to town to participate. Uh, we do have, you know, a lot of uh, grounding in what it is that is legal procedure. And I think that there's just a lot of theater going on here. And that, to me, that's theater because they're going to bring the machine in the room. And yeah. they're going to actually make it work according to when they picked it up in Germany, <clears throat> which I have said before, but was the case that it had legally taken all the votes. Trump was declared a, the winner at midnight on November 3rd. <clears throat> and at that point in time, everything was closed down. And so all the votes, all the ballots that came in after that were the ones that were Fraud. Not, right. They were fraudulent, yes. And so those numbers will stand. They, they will confirm over 400 probably electoral votes that actually went for Trump. And, um, you know, so I, I, I do think that's a possibility. The only thing is, is that right now on social media, <clears throat> the uh, Republicans are at war with the Republicans because yeah. Mitt Romney and uh, several others have come forward and said, oh, you know, if they dink with the vote, I, you know, and I don't know, but maybe that was the reason. Maybe that's the whole reason for all this, again, backroom theater, um, you know, tactics that basically will uh, reveal the uh, the bad doers within the Republican Party. And, and of course, the <clears throat> Democrats have all leapt on this and said, Oh, the Republicans at you know are war with each other and and even you know people that are actually pretty well versed in all of this have uh, stated that fact. So you know that's the, where I'm at. The fascinating thing about this scenario, as bizarre mm -hmm. as it sounds, and and certainly no more bizarre than everything else we've gone through so far in in the last four years of the Trump presidency. Um, the thing that's bizarre about it, but actually makes a little bit of sense, Candace, is that he could do all this before the objections, because the objections don't come until he reads in or attempts to count the electoral votes of a specific state like Arizona. And he could do this whole thing before they ever get to the opening of the paper and counting it that way. He really could go through this entire scenario. And the other thing too, is it will illustrate to the American people exactly the way 
things were really done in the states with the fraudulent votes. And I think that would be a brilliant stroke of theater, although I find it hard to believe this is really going to happen. Blake, what do you think? What's your opinion, buddy? Oh, that would be amazing to see that happen. That would be the ultimate ending. That's bigger than Hollywood. I just, you know, and, and Trump's a showman. I just, it's hard for me to picture Pence doing that. He seems like too much of a square um, for me to pick, you know, but like maybe like Pompeo could do that, maybe Ted Cruz. Because it really, you know, to go up there and actually put on a, a production like that in front of the whole planet is not, there's not many people that can pull that off. And, and Pence doesn't seem like the type of guy that would fit that role. I could be wrong and I'd love to see it. And he would, you know, that'd be glorious. But uh, I'll wait and see. I'll, I'll... Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't really strike me as uh, as the the Bob Barker or the uh, Michael Buffer guy. You know, let's get ready yeah. to rumble and count these votes. I can't see him doing that either, Blake. But it's an interesting scenario that was put out oh, there. Awesome. And yeah. God knows we have to be we have to be ready for anything because we just do not know at this point what is actually going to happen um, in a couple days. Although I do think we should not put all of our eggs in the January sixth basket. There's I I don't think anything decisive will probably happened that day. Now, um, okay, so there's another piece of information, another story that we've been following here that we tracked from Thursday's show, which is interesting because on that show, we, we talked about how the president said back in September that January 1st, something really big is going to happen. And nobody really, he didn't say what it was and nobody really talked about it. Some people said, oh, it's, it's a day that there's changes in the medical stuff where the hospitals now have to show you their real prices. But something else happened, which I think is is really, really fascinating, which is that um, they actually he signed a new law or issued a new order on that particular day. And that order is something that he put out issued on January 1st under Lang, Land and Agriculture, a bill announcement. On, on Friday, January 1st, 2021, the president signed into law S. 3418. I don't know exactly what that is, whether that's an act of Congress or not, but it's called the Safeguarding Tomorrow Through Ongoing Risk Mitigation Act or the STORM Act, which authorizes the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, to provide capitalization grants, that's funds, to states to establish revolving funds to provide hazard mitigation assistance to reduce risks from disasters and natural hazards. And if you don't know what storm means, there is a famous 55, I think it was, Q dump, where um, he, he said that Q said that you're going to get something, you're going to get it to Twitter, you're going to get a tweet that says, my fellow Americans, the storm is upon us. So storm means the storm is upon us. Trump said, focus on January 1st. It's going to be a big deal. And the other thing is that our buddy Simon Parks said um, that this, this act was put into place um, in order to activate the FEMA camps that we've all been hearing about for years and years and years. He said those camps were originally intended to imprison the good guys. Now they're going to be used to imprison the bad guys. The script has been the script has been flipped. Blake, what do you think about that idea? I think it's possible. 
That'd be fantastic. That was one of my big fears uh, years ago, especially like during the Bush administration. After that was over, and I thought McCain was going to get elected, and that was all the you know the FEMA camp, the police state has gone wild. It was the NDAA. It was I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to start you know black bagging the Patriots or what have you. I was worried that everything was over. And um, now if they flip the script all these years later, I mean, that would be an amazing turnaround. Um, yeah, from where the kind of like the dark ages after the post 9-11 world, where I just thought that this we, we had no chance. We, we were done, done for. Country's done for. Now we've uh, given ourselves a chance. Trump has uh, shocked the world. They're trying to get rid of him. But maybe there's this going to be this all new turnaround and we're going to the bad guys are going to go into the camps. Wouldn't that be uh, poetic? That would be hilarious, actually. Um, Candace, what do you think? You think it's possible that that's what the Storm Act is really all about? Is it's activating FEMA for the mass arrests that are going to come? Well, okay, I know what's going on here. This is a coded message. <laughs> and this took me a little bit to kind of get sort of into, so I'll try to make it as clear as possible. Okay, um, feel free. Safeguarding tomorrow through ongoing risk mitigation. Now, everybody has to ask themselves, what is risk mitigation? It's called doing things in advance so bad things don't happen. Now, risk management is something I actually know quite a bit about because there's a whole category of people out there that are in charge of this. One of those people that have been in charge of this for a long time is FEMA. Now, FEMA built camps all over the country uh, from one time or another, um, but they've all been um, either destroyed or taken over or cleared out. They, they already, they, they're gone. So this is not about FEMA camps that are going to get opened up for anybody. This is about us saying that nothing is going to happen into the future that we have any control over. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he called it the Storm Act is like, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. You know, what he said is that this is about the fact that there's going to be some disruption here and we all have to be prepared for what comes. And it's supposed to be announced on the federal emergency network that was set up. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that uh, in a minute yeah. in the next thing. But yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, this was the setup for it. Okay. So now we go to the next part of it, which is to provide capitalization grants. Now, what does that mean? Okay. When we capitalize something, we fund it, right? Right. So basically, he's talking about Nasara. <laughs> I mean, everybody hold on to your hats because this is everything that's coming in one little statement. OK, mm -hmm. so they're going to establish revolving funds. Now, what that means is that we're going to get into that state where people are going to start getting money put into their bank accounts. And some people already have. And this is mm -hmm. an ongoing program. What we're going to receive those that don't get direct deposits We'll be getting a card, which we talked about last time, a debit card, right? right? That has the, you know, Treasury of the United States on it and it has Donald Trump's signature, or they will get a check. So this is gonna be the process that we're all gonna be kind of very happy about because they have stolen from us for in massive, massive amounts for a very long period of time. 
And this is a section 3418, which I have to really put kind of a smile on my face about because those numbers are seven, which is the God number, and the next one, 18, which I hope most of you know, is R. And so he told us with this that there's going to be money provided for hazard mitigation assistance. And again, I think, okay, what does hazard mitigation mean? That means you, you go out and you fix things so right. that they work. Like you go into cities and you build bridges and you create infrastructure. You know, you're mitigating what they had intended, which is to tear everything down, to reduce from disasters and natural hazards. So, you know, we're going to be busy in the future, folks. This is money that's not going to just be given to you that you're going to be sitting around. You're going to have to write grants. You're going to have to do stuff. And it's all right there. So if anybody questions it, you just go back to the words. So thank you. Okay. Um, you know, I think that, um, I think you have to face reality here. Okay. Storm is upon us is a Q term period. It's quoted by QAnons all the time. The president said, watch January 1st on January 1st, he signs the storm act into law or activates the program. It may or may not have something to do with FEMA camps. Guys, this is an indication that we're going to war, I believe. Not with China necessarily, but with the deep state. I think it's a basically a declaration of war. And it, it you cannot deny that it has a connection to Q. Now, what I want to do is go over the possible... Um, the possible schedule that we're looking at here, which is it, it really something interesting. And um, this is something I sent to Candace the other day. Now, it's it's going to be hard to read, so I'm going to read it to you. And the graphic, it's just the best that I, I have of this. I haven't been able to find a better version of it. But this is a spreadsheet that I got from somebody else today, which is talking about, I guess, what everybody, the schedule is for the next four or five five days, excuse me. Um, the position is in the executive branch led by Donald Trump, all days of activity. What it's saying is 9 p.m. address to the nation via the emergency alert uh, system author authorities of cyber authorize, yeah, authorities of cyber attack on our critical infrastructure by China, Russia, and Iran, and electoral infrastructure as well. That's scheduled for Saturday, which is the first day things are supposed to happen. On Saturday, the executive branch is supposed to message to state legislatures on foreign interference and share all executive branch evidence and investigations uh, into fraud. Then below that, it says the president himself will do a daily briefing on fraud in the election at 9 p.m. via the Emergency Broadcasting Authority. Talk about foreign interference by state actors, China, Iran, Russia, Pakistan, uh isil and others okay on the, this particular day mike pence the vice president is supposed to lay out to america how the joint session of congress will proceed and what to expect laying out his interpretation of his authorities and a presiding officer now to my knowledge he did not do that today but um he well this is basically what he's, his overall function is he's supposed to meet with five state senate presidents and speakers of the house of georgia wisconsin arizona michigan pennsylvania we don't know if he did that 
the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe, Ezra Cohen, Watnick, Chris Miller, these guys, per the previous executive order, are laying out unclassified evidence to the U.S. Congress, state legislatures, and the American people of all foreign interference impact on U.S. elections, allowing state legislatures to conduct their December to uh, correct their December 14th unconstitutional, fraudulent, and foreign manipulated election certifications, additionally allowing U.S. Congress to have all information available when determining whether or not to object to state electors on January 6th. That's going to be foreign interference by state actors. Uh, the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, who Pence, again, these are all people Pence has put pictures of up. Discussing with the uh, evidence, the election hack of the U.S. system and Treasury U United States uh, USG cyber hack, foreign interference by state actors. The DHS secretary has specific roles. The attorney general has specific roles. The DOJ acting attorney general discusses the unconstitutionality of the way the elections were run in at least four states. FBI National Security Division discusses foreign interference in each of the special agents. U.S. attorneys and election district officers from each contested city will brief will brief of all election fraud and public corruption investigations currently ongoing and give historical context of these types of investigations. What he's supposed to do today is constitutional violations and uh, investigations. Each of the special agents, uh, the, the postmasters got duties. But to my knowledge, none of this actually took place today on Saturday, January 2nd. That's what supposedly was supposed to happen. I'm assuming that the 9 p.m. address would be 9 p.m. Eastern time, but it may, in fact, yet be 9 p.m. Pacific time, Candace. We don't know yet. So we may not be out of the woods on that. Then the president on Sunday is supposed to request Congress hold three days of executive uh, election integrity hearings. Uh, he's then supposed to preside, um, provide below a witness as witness um, under oath for electoral in election integrity hearings. On, on Tuesday, January 5th, are supposed to be the hearings. Uh, on the 6th are supposed to be the um, presentation to Congress. And the inauguration is on the 20th. So it lays out the duties of everybody here. Candace, as far as we know, this has not happened yet. So what do you think about this? It makes sense to me in terms of structure for how you take the American people through what has already happened. Well, it's you got to st start someplace. I was kind of wondering where this came from, and I did some research. I really didn't see it anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. The it says all days at the top, so it it depends on I believe the emergency alert system, which they're going to have to test before anybody comes on and actually uses it as a vehicle for the addressing of of people which um, I've, I've heard about this several times that they were going to roll it out and start to use it at the beginning of the three days of darkness or whatever it was that we're going to need. Um, I really think this was a little premature, um, but, you know, it, anything is possible. It, it both basically says daily updates on all that. So I believe that they've probably put something out, uh, you know, Q's put this out too, where they're going to, you know, they have a list of 10 people and then they've got two, you know, things filled in and, and then nobody else really, you know, follows it along in terms of, um, you know, completing the chart. But, um, I, you know, it is the case where we've got some good players here. Uh, we have some, you know, 
major kind of things that they're tasked with doing. I think that was the thing about today is that they broke it up into the various, um, you know, levels of involvement. I was really glad to see the postmaster uh, included mm -hmm. um, and that they were going to go after him personally or have him included in this because they've got so many whist whistleblowers. And, you know, the thing about all this is that there was uh, a, um, a lot of these poor folks that were just driving trucks across state with, you know, 100,000 ballots in the back uh, of the truck. And they were, they went after him. They've, uh, you know, fired them. They've uh, put, you know, some very bad, um, you know, uh, derogatory statements against them. So this does need to come out. Uh, and again, it's like we're hoping that we have a format. And the other thing that I believe um, will be talked about within the next week, obviously by Wednesday, is some of these uh, really bad indiscretions. And, and then, you know, we're going to be able to identify and also then state all of this, which is really what uh, Wednesday is about, is getting it out on the table. I think um, Lynn Wood said that, that we just have to have a gay place. We can put everything that's going to go directly to the public. Um, and that is going to be a format that will be able to be actionable. And that is what this means to me. All right, um, Blake, your thoughts. Uh, I'm curious myself to see what's going to happen and how they're going to present this all. It seems like they got a ton of evidence. It's just, I don't know exactly the window and how it's all going to be done. There's a lot of people working on this hard, and there's just still more stuff coming out. So it's just like, you know, race against time, I guess. I mean, every day is bombshells. You're talking about big stories in the news. I was just looking at you know, this story, Georgia election data. You got 17,000 votes switched from Trump to Biden. You've got 400 ex-intelligence officers set to investigate uh, election irregularities. You got a, a hacker, the Pulitzer guy, claims his team got access to the polling system. I mean, there's just huge stories, and it shouldn't be hard to you know to show the American people, but they got to be kind of clever the way that they they do it and get make sure that they're actually watching. I, I don't know how this all goes down. But it's all there if people can just be objective and, and, and check it out. There's going to be no doubt. They're not going to be able to say, hey, okay, well, let's just keep going with this. Because they're going to say, oh, my God, even if you're a hardcore Democrat, you're going to be like, okay, well, what do I do now? Mostly they still won't even look at it. But if they're forced to and they have to do, I mean, what are they going to do? Yeah. So, yeah. It's going to be exciting. So we're in for a big week. It's all coming down. So Yeah. Well, so by this time next week, we should have a much clearer picture, I would think, oh, yes. what is going to happen, although we may not. Um, I hope so. so that doesn't I, go there. Yeah. Is it military tribunal time? Is it insurrection act time? Uh, what do you do if all the evidence is there and they're, they're just trying to shove it anyway and say, forget about it? Yeah. Another thing Park, Simon Park said is that the National Guard is already in place in every city they need to be in place. So that is an interesting um, thing that we did not know. I don't think at least we didn't hadn't heard before. And uh, guys, I guess, Candace, I got to ask you, what do you think is going on with Lynn, Lynn Wood? What, what purpose is he serving and do you trust him? Well, he's really out there. I mean, it's hard to really say that it's it's a case of um, uh, I think he's he's putting a lot that you can't quite put your money on yet. 
Yeah, I guess I would agree with that. Um, but again, these are not things that we have, these are all things we have discussed openly on this show and have been discussed openly across the internet, that these people might be traitors, that they might be compromised, that they are, you know, need to be removed from office. So I don't know. It's like, it, it, it creates a, a level of reality to these possibilities that I don't think existed before. Do you, Blake? No, as we're in unprecedented territory. This has never happened. People are going to be talking about this for the next thousand years, assuming Trump wins. If Biden wins, he's just going to go into some crazy dark age, 1984, Brave New World, Hunger Games, yeah. and then history will just be erased. Yeah, no no kidding. Um, okay, so Candace, um, I don't know. Did you bring anything else besides what we've already discussed that you wanted to share with the, the viewers tonight? I know this is your uh, one of your favorite things. Um by the way, 432 of you in the live stream. That's great. Thanks for coming. Do not forget to smash that like button. Subscribe to Mike Bear Official and the Peelback Report. Don't forget to watch us on Twitch and Periscope and Rumble, which Casey's taking care of. If you want to send some love to TV Blake Wally, hit him up at paypal.me slash Blake Wally. If you want to send some love to Candace Whitelight, hit her on Frequency of the Earth. Join her group on Facebook. Frequency of the Earth on eBay. She has a store called Miramom, M-E-A-R-A-M-U-M. On Twitter, she is at Miramom. And if you want to send me some love or if you want to sign up for Jennifer Falah's remote viewing class where she's going to train you to do remote viewing on January 31st, it's paypal.me slash Mike Barra or on Venmo at Mike-Barra. It's $55. Make sure I also get your email address in there. We've got 10 signups so far. We're Happy with that. We still have a month to go, basically, before we uh, have the class. The class size is unlimited, unlike the reading. And do not forget to visit our sponsors, ungovernedtees.com. Ungovernedtees.com. Use the discount code RN2021 for 20% off on all sorts of cool T-shirts. And none of us are wearing those T-shirts tonight. I'm wearing a police T-shirt that I got from my brother for Christmas. Thank you, Dave, for the new police T-shirt. It's really awesome. I appreciate that. But I will be wearing Ungoverned Tees T-shirts back on monday so thank actually it's not it's not uh, a get it's just a, it's a, it's a get i got it from dave barrow okay so candace anything you'd like to talk about the floor is yours you can just tell us what you want to tell us from this point forward i watched juan yesterday uh he seems to be avoiding answering the questions directly but uh, he has a plan that he seems to be executing oh yeah there's there's lots of you know, sort of indicators that this could go in any different direction. So, you know, it's the case that, um, you know, I, I've gone into this as, as best I can without revealing the stuff we're not supposed to talk about, which is really a, um, you know, a very sordid mess. Um, and as soon as people understand that we have worked really hard in the background to reveal a lot of stuff and it's never come out on the media even alternative media is just beginning to get there uh you know the the things about child trafficking and the things about you know satanic ritual abuse and these are things that everybody should get behind as far as you know a a force field that we can destroy these industries um the only one that's really been doing anything is trump um, and then all of us who have been, you know, bringing it along for people's, you know, kind of just in the background, I like the doubles program. We've talked about that. Um, you know, there's a good point there to say that a lot of these folks are not even them, 
the real person anymore. And that's kind of a problem in terms of doing the perp walk because, you know, you've got these deep staters that have been well inclined to make people disappear. Uh, there's been stories coming out that, um, you know, they've had uh, folks that, that were killed, you know, that were involved in the voter fraud. And I mean, these are just good citizens that are whistleblowers. And this kind of government that we have had, this kind of governance that has come in and been able to perpetrate against all of us, we have to be in that state of mind where we're understanding the significance of this time that we've already been brought into. Um, and everybody has to go with their own heart and understand that it's a process that uh, um, you go through in terms of choosing your, your lane and your purpose and that you actually are engaging yourself in these processes so that you learn what's legal, what's not legal, um, the, the huge infrastructure that's been built to basically buy and sell you that is a part of uh, Admiralty Law. Um, there's also a lot that is, you know, going to be coming out about, um, you know, these uh, tunnels and the uh, hybrid program and stuff that is, is going to be abhorrent to folks when they really understand the context of it. Uh, so, you know, we're in that space and time where, you know, we're talking about these superficial things, but there's a whole lot more that's out there that, that what we have to do right now is get our dear President Trump back into the office legally so that we can impress upon people that we can never have an election like that happen again. And yeah. Well, you there? Yeah, okay. I just, uh, you, you sort of wanted to talk. Oh, no, no, I just said, yeah, I, I guess yeah. I do ask you the question. Glenn asks, so what Glenn Claddock asks, and Glenn, I, I got to give you, I, I want to just say, I, I know Glenn, uh, I saw on Facebook that you lost your sister a day or so ago, and I'm really sorry to hear that. You're an old buddy from high school, and I'm I'm sorry about that, and we all, um, we all wish you well and, and hope that you guys, your whole family is uh, covered in God's love. And I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. But Glenn asks, what do you think about the census being late? Is that being held back for some reason, Candace? Oh, no, this this is interesting because, of course, I, I did work on the census. I know yeah. a lot of the backgrounder for it. Um, and what is going on right now is there's a little bit of a war by the part, obviously, of the Democrats and the leftists that are saying that it's, you can't, you know, put it together and you can't put the numbers out there because it's uh, it's discriminatory. I mean, my God, you're going to report the real numbers, you know, this is horrible. So they've tied it up in the courts and uh, the, uh, the, the person who's the director of the census came out with a statement that said that it was basically done, except for the fact that there was some anomalies in the background for the census and they have been looking through it. They say they're gonna have it done uh, by next week and that then uh, it will be the case where these numbers will be collated. And of course, you know, that's a major, you know, bombshell to these Democrats that basically completely uh, put in too many ballots for people that were registered or even living. 
um, this will prove, you know, who it is that lives where and, and how many of them and all of that. And we need those statistics to determine things like the, uh, the House of Representatives, you know, here in Montana, mm -hmm. we're going to get another one probably. Uh, but, you know, these collating stuff is, is eh, you know, it, it's, it's already done. It's easy. It's just numbers. And um, but they are, you know, trying to throw a wrench in the work. So I think they're they're kind of, you know, this is their last stand. I've got to look at it as a, um, you know, their their kind of last effort to really win back the, uh, you know, the high ground as, as a were to, to be able to continue to suck our blood and to uh, take our money and uh, destroy our food supplies. And, you know, they just on every level. So the, um, the end product is that we win. Uh, we're not going to lose this one, but they sure are going to make a mess of it. And I hope that, you know, all of these shills on Twitter that we can take over the social media and wipe them all out with one fell swoop, which is really... Right. Oh my, my goodness gracious, Wish. Michael Michael Reagan, who I know that Juan knows, he's just a disgrace. He's just an absolute disgrace. He's saying his he's saying his father would be ashamed of what Donald Trump is doing, and I'm like, no, dickhead, he'd be ashamed of what you're doing, helping the Democrats steal our republic from us. I mean, it just it's unbelievable how sick some of these Republicans really are, and and in, in some ways they're. They're worse than the Democrats because they should know better and and don't. They they don't they don't do it out of evil. They do it out of willful ignorance, and it's just just ridiculous. Uh, Jimmy Church keeps saying on his show that this is all a conspiracy. Well, what? Why does that idiot think he has a fucking show? Don't listen to anything Jimmy Church says. He's a moron. He's got problems. He's a dickhead. Fuck Jimmy Church. Don't mention him in my chat anymore. By the way. Um, Oh, my New Year's chat alone in my car. Yeah, heartfelt and so true. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I took Miss Fluffy Muffy to the vet. She had an infected ear, and I was just sitting there waiting for them to treat her because they won't let me come in with my own cat because I might have the COVID. So I kind of let my thoughts go on. And, you know, look, we're in a fight, and we got we to gotta fight. Um, Ted Cruz is doubling down now and asking for a 10-day audit. I think that's pretty interesting um candace because what that could mean is that you know jennifer's right that there will be a delay in the whole county process if he wants a 10-day audit of all the uh all the states that are con that are contested wow what do you think about that blake what do you think i love it you know he, he continues to uh you know do good things you know he just take, took a lot of heat um there's some issues i have with him, but overall, he's really one of the been one of the best senators and one of the most refreshing uh, people in Washington. I think since he got in and the Tea Party, he's a, he's a smart guy and he seems to have you know do more good than harm. So I I, I like it. So thank you, Ted. Yeah, um, guys, I forget um, Juan was on with some really dull, boring guy. Um, Candace sent me the link. Let me see if I can find it to the show. Just give me a sec. Nope, that's Kimberly Rack. Hi, Kimberly, by the way. I forgot to say hi to you earlier. Candace, you were you sent me a link to the show that Juan was on the other day. Um, yeah, he did three shows that one day, and one of them with a new venue that basically is the worst platform I've ever seen. And <clears throat> then he did one with um, uh, 
Frank, who is uh, it's on Twitch, and I, I can't even make it come up now. So <clears throat> these are these are secondary Twitch, and um, the website that the other program was on was it was great stuff that he said, but there's no way to uh, transcribe it. And uh, you know, it wasn't a lot of new things, you know. So I mean, I follow this really closely, and yeah. basically the best ones are going to be with Rogue. He was with Steel Truth, which you can go now. Um, she has a new channel on YouTube called Ann Vandersteel. And yeah. that was a good program. Um, and also, um, you know, he's, he's going to appear Monday with, um, with uh, I think it's, <laughs> I keep forgetting his name, what it is, uh, quite frankly, or something yeah. along those lines. And, yeah, I, I, that might have been the one that I watched. I don't, I don't really. Yeah, know. and that's on Twitch, and uh, that was, you know, a good venue. He's he's trying to kind of uh, talk around to different age groups. I think uh, most of the people on Twitch are, are gamers, and he has said for a long time that the uh, Q movement at the beginning was actually um, a lot of the folks that, that built the platform that came in and had the knowledge in terms of the deep um, digital army that we have used. And, and that actually is probably the biggest news right now because um, the, the amount of effort that has been put out to really uh, get into the systems, to get into the platforms, to... Um, to not only interrupt them, but just to understand them so that when we have the high ground for this, we can go in and reset everything. And then my supposition was always that we were probably going to look at this as a, a chance to move them into a, uh, uh, all the social media platforms into a public um, domain. So if, if we end up doing that, it'll be much more manageable and much more fair. Uh, you know, Google is going to have to go under the same, you know, um, uh, magnifying glass. Uh, we're going to be using um, 230, which is uh, supposedly in process to be removed so that we can actually take these um, social media platforms and, you know, it, uh, put the constitution into work, you know, in terms of what they have done and, and, uh, you know, YouTube, I just, I'm still really, I hate them. So, because they've done, uh, the worst in terms of, of moving all of our alt media, uh, groups into these secondary platforms. And that's where it has just gotten confusing as all heck. So, uh, hopefully they'll be cleaned out and we'll be able to set that back up because they literally wiped out all the, uh, every platform that reported on Q, every platform that reported on anything to do with the C-19. And, um, you know, it just has been brutal, um, you know, out and out, um, you know, corruption that they have used and that they have censored us. And that it can't be accepted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Blake, are you going with security to Washington, D.C.? Good question. I'm hoping the Proud Boys will be there. I think uh, Jennifer warned me to kind of stay a little out of the fray. Um, yeah, stay in with the crowds and don't get isolated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't want to get too close to the front lines necessarily. I just don't want to get, yeah, as Antifa, they're, they're dirty. I don't want to get stabbed or uh, sprayed in the face with 
you know, some chemicals or something. So I'll try, right. try to stay out of it. But prepare to defend yourself, you tough guy. Okay, 469 people on the live stream. That is awesome. A lot of people don't have anything to do on Saturday night except hang out with us. So it's great to have guys have you guys here. Don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe to Mike Bear Official and the Peelback Report. Ring the little bell to get alerts anytime we go live with any breaking news. Like if the president breaks in and gives us uh, an address on the you know emergency broadcast system over the next couple of days, which I hope actually happens because it'll mean things are moving forward. Um, make sure you get updates on that stuff. Comment. I'll come in and respond to your comments. That always helps get the thing uh, uh, promoted more on YouTube. Candace, it's way past time for Juan to come on my show. I mean, come on. We have enough viewers here. You need to do the show. Um <laughs> Do not forget to support Blake Wally. If you want to send Blake Wally some love, it is paypal.me slash Blake Wally. Send Mr. Wally to Washington. Mr. Wally goes to Washington on January 6th. Yeah. If you want to support Candace Whitelight, her Facebook group is Frequency of the Earth. eBay is Miramom, and her Twitter is at Miramom with two capital M's. Not three, but two capital M's. If you want to uh, visit our sponsor, UngovernedTees.com, where you can get some really cool T-shirts, UngovernedTees.com. The discount code is RN2021, standing for Real News 2021. This is your first Real News report of 2021 in actuality, and it's being done under the influence of alcohol, although I've only had one beer at this point. Uh, and finally, if you'd like to send me some love, you can do so at Mike Barra, paypal.me slash Mike Barra, Venmo at Mike dash Barra. And you can also send me $55 to sign up for Jennifer Fala Doreen's remote viewing training class on January 31st after the Seahawks presumably win another game, probably the NFC championship on that one. And, uh, no, that'll be the weekend off from the uh, playoffs. And, yeah, uh, cool. yeah. and, um, also make sure you send me your email address and we will make sure you get signed up 10 signups so far. It's going to be a great class. Okay. Um, I think at this point we, um, we can go to the phones and uh, we're going to go to the phones at the end. Let's do um, we've actually been kind of going to the phones all the way along. I think it's time for us to do our, our top five Candace, any further information you want to uh, put out there to the people other than convincing Juan he needs to come and do my show because I'm looking at some of the other channels he's on and they don't have a whole lot more viewers and subscribers than I do. So it's time for him to come here and answer some serious questions. You've got to understand though, I'm going to let him talk. I'm going to let him say his piece, but then I'm going to pin him to the wall with some questions that he may or may not answer. So uh, any, any further information <laughs> you'd like to send out to, I have his number. I'm just going to fucking call him out of the clear blue and say, Hey asshole, when are you coming on my show? Um, <laughs> Oh, that'll play well. <laughs> play well, yeah. Uh, uh, Mike, you, did, you just got to back off about this. I'll, I'll have I, a mechanic. I just made a connection, though. Okay, so you're going to have, you have, I'll to have a mechanic go through back channels. The mechanic can go through back channels. All right, any, any other information you'd like to impart before we go to the entertainment portion of the evening? Well, I mean, you know, I can finish my discussion about this because I, I think that uh, we have to do this as a process. I, I'm i always surprised uh, that Juan went on a couple of these shows, but then again, he's his own person. I've been told, uh, you know, that this is not something that I have a lot of uh, clout within. Um, you know, I was able to, uh, you know, do what I did a couple of weeks ago, and, and that uh, was a major accomplishment for me. So, 
um, they do, you know, kind of give me some credibility and I think I deserve it for what I've provided. But, you know, it is a case where, um, you know, that that we are in a, a situation where really we have to focus on the election. And I think uh, Juan has said everything that he knows. I think certainly he's in D.C. Um, there'll be more information forthcoming. And um, I believe he'll probably stay with his major um, you know, situation. He's not going to be reaching out, you know, and in my mind, it's, it's just not going to be possible. So, um, the other thing that people are asking about is the connection between Alan Perot and JFK Jr. And, um, this is something I put out last uh, Wednesday. And I do think that it's really worth everybody's time to think about this because there is so many people with speculation. And, uh, I do think, believe that, um, you know, John Kennedy is alive. And I do also believe that he'll be coming forward and working in the, uh, you know, the Trump administration at some point. And I think that that he's going to be the ultimate uh, person to bring about the healing of this country. It's, it's my hope anyway. And it certainly is, uh, you know, the people that have been working in this for a long time for their whole life is that they're going to be able also to, uh, you know, get some rest and uh, to hope, you know, within a biblical way that we have done our best and that God really is the one that uh, can be, um, you know, counted on to do what is right and that obviously he, God wins. So that's kind of my current <laughs> situation. So I appreciate all that. Okay. Um, Blake, any final thoughts before we go to the entertainment portion of the evening where half the viewers leave us? <laughs> well, first, I want to say, well, it's going to be an exciting one because I don't think we even know what we're going to do yet. So it's going to be right under the gun. This, this should be uh, one of the more, the most exciting one, I guess, perhaps, no preparation. But I do want to say, um, couple things well first of all it would be awesome if jfk jr and what about gregory hallett too what if they, they came out and uh between them and trump that would uh, shock the world but i also want to say a big thanks to the people that have been uh donating uh, helping me go to dc on this i want to say uh laura uh jocelyn rick and hattie thank you so much appreciate that um and and so many of you have uh, also Anybody I didn't mention, make sure you, you get at me and I'll, I'll shout you out next time. But, um, yeah, very much appreciate it. Thank you. It's going to be historic. I'm looking forward to representing and putting out some good content while I'm there. And, uh, yeah, what, what's uh, so what's on tap for the uh, top five? we got to say, I think we've had a, a few good suggestions there, but I'm not well, sure. Yeah, before we go with, to that, uh, I do want to say I, I do want to say that we do all wish you well. I mean, I'm glad you're representing us there at – at the um, show, if you can, uh, if you can go live, that would be amazing. On January sixth, if you have a chance, send me a signal, you know, and uh, and we'll try to get it. We'll we'll go immediately. Basically, I'm just going to be on alert all day. We'll go immediately to a live stream if you can do it. Uh, I know it's probably going to be hard to get signals there. They're probably going to cut off the Wi-Fi. If I know DC, you know, they're going to cut off a lot of that stuff. But if you um, if you do. Um, if you do get a chance to go live, we'll go live. If not, make some videos, upload them. We'll get them spread around. You know, let me know if they're on your YouTube. We'll get them spread around and, and replicated, and we'll use ClipGrab and all that. Um, we yeah. do want to document your time in D.C. Be careful, but don't be afraid is what oh, I yeah. 
Be careful, yeah. but do not be afraid. And when are you leaving, by the way? You're going to leave Monday or Tuesday? Um, I think, yeah, it's going to be kind of a complicated. I think I might leave tomorrow night to go see a friend of mine, and then we're going to shoot out the next day or something. But we'll try to get there around the afternoon on the 5th, game plan, and then the 6th, the whole spend the 7th, so tie up loose ends. So it yeah. should be eventful. yeah. You know, before we, we go again to the entertainment portion, um, oh, Catalia Fordyce says, Blake, I'll be at the wharf. So she wants to hang out with you. Cool. I hope to meet a few of you. I know there's a few other people that were saying they might be there. So, yeah, yeah. Look, look me up on Twitter or something. Well, maybe we, we can uh, meet up. That'd be great. Love to we'll meet and greet while I'm there. Yeah. Uh, Glenn wants to put out, what happens if nothing happens to the deep state before the 21st? It seems like it's almost impossible to get the chart of tasks done in three weeks. You'd be surprised how quickly that chart of tasks can be done, Glenn. But that's when we are into the military option. Yes, military that's, is very that, efficient. That's where we have to say, I don't care who inaugurates who, none of you people are going to be getting the nuclear codes. That's that's when that happens. So um, milk works good for pepper spray. Okay. Yeah, Kathy, you know, thanks for the Simon Park stuff. We talked about Simon earlier in the show. Okay. All right, so tonight's top five, which is going to go, I think, fairly quickly, is, folks, you need to list your top five concerts of all time, concerts that you attended. You can't watch them on TV, your top five concerts of all time. And they don't have to even be your top five favorite bands, just the best concerts you've ever been to, five, four, three, two, one. And because I didn't give you guys a lot of um, – a, a lot of notice on this. I'm going to go first and come up with my top five as soon as I can figure out who number five was. So, but I'm going to go ahead and do it and and go first. So your top five concerts of all time. Okay, so uh, I'm I was pretty young. Uh, my first concert I ever attended was Yes, and it was not very great. It was okay. They had one or two good songs. I enjoyed it. I know Candace likes Yes. Um, I think my second concert that I ever attended when I was 16 was um, David Bowie on the um, Return of the Thin White Duke tour, the Station to Station tour in the Seattle Center Coliseum. There's a great bootleg of exactly the same playlist that he played from the Nassau Coliseum. It's actually uh, officially been, Bowie put it out on, on a uh, deluxe edition of Station to Station. And it was the night I came home. It was the night I had my first blinding migraine headache, and it really sucked. But the concert was amazing. I think it was because there was so much pot smoke in the Seattle Center Coliseum that you literally could not see the fans on the other side of the arena with the lights on. That was when the fucking lights were on. God knows when the lights were off. And it was, uh, it was a great concert. It was very memorable. The staging was amazing. The guitar playing from Carlos Alomar and... Uh, Stacy Hayden was just off the charts and it was a great concert. And if you want to listen to basically exactly the same concert, you can do that. But my number five all time concert is David Bowie on the station to station tour at the Seattle center Coliseum sometime, I think October of 1976. So there we go. That's my number five. Okay. Uh, I don't know who's next. Candace, you ready? You want to go Candace? Well, yeah, I could. I, I got mine written down here. Um, I have to understand, I haven't gone to a concert for probably <laughs> 10 years. So um, all of these are from the past, but they were significant. And this one was 
it was a great concert in that it was a great venue and the only problem was is that I was sitting so far away. It just didn't seem like I was intimate with it, but it was at the Gorge. We've talked about this before, mm-hmm. and it was with Sting. And he uh, played out there, uh, I guess, several times, but he played with the actual um, orchestra that came out from Spokane, and it was monumental in terms of the stagecraft and you know, he's just one of my favorite um, performers. So that is my number five is the Sting concert at the Gorge in George. You know, we, we talked about this. I saw him the previous time on the Soul Cages tour that he came to the Gorge at George. And folks, if you ever hear about this place, if there's ever another concert there, if you ever get a chance to go there, go. I mean, it's completely isolated. There's like no services. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's no town within... I don't know, 50 miles that you can even stay at a hotel in. But the view is unbelievable. You know, you, you always see these concerts of people that playing at Red Rocks in Colorado. Fuck Red Rocks. The Gorge is an incredible venue. Now, if I hadn't had such a miserable, terrible time at the Sting concert, including fighting off a dude with a knife that was trying to attack me and my wife, I would be on my list. But yeah, Candace, that's an enormous beautiful venue to go see a concert wow it's on the same michelle winery uh lands out there just spectacular yeah there is a uh like you can keep your bring your rv on there so you can actually sleep uh, you know and um yeah well, and that was yeah. almost as good as the concert is the after you know? yeah the after party yeah next time <laughs> i will definitely i will definitely get an rv if i ever go there again that was in like 92 i went and saw that that's not on my top five list though blake wally your yeah. number five all-time concert Man, this is tough. Okay, yeah. I, uh, Come on. Last year was an epic year. I saw 13 concerts. It, in like it, was, tough. it was tough because Blake Wally was stoned out of his mind at all the concerts he went to, folks. That's why. That is true. I think, yeah, I, I probably was at every single one. That is a good point, Mike. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, for many years, I didn't see a lot of concerts. I was a bartender in Vegas. I worked Friday, Saturday nights. I didn't get to see a lot, but I made up for it. I went to L.A., thank God, because they didn't they shut everything down now. But I got to go see 13 concerts last year. That was awesome. So I'll, I, since we're under the time, just I'll go, I'll go number five once. I was in L.A., and then I had a big road trip all the way up to Minnesota. It's a long story. But at the um, State Fair, I got to see Weird Al Yankovic, who's you know, not really necessarily one of my favorites. He's all, you know, it's funny stuff I see every once in a while. But he played, it was the uh, Strings Attached Tour. So he had like a 51-piece orchestra. Now, I was up in the grandstand, so I think the volume isn't spectacular with the live instruments, but I, I love orchestra, and it, it was a, really a fun show. I really enjoyed that at the state Minnesota State Fair in 2019, Weird Al Yankovic Strings Attached Tour. All right. That's an excellent number five, an excellent number five. Okay. I'm finding many of mine are from the past. You know, I, I'd love to, like, put Led Zeppelin on here, but I've only seen Led Zeppelin once. And it was in 1977, I want to say, at the Kingdome in Seattle. But it was miserable because you, the Kingdome was a giant concrete mausoleum and you couldn't hear anything. And the bass just, it was terrible. However, I'm lucky enough that because YouTube is a thing, 
I was able to find the video. Somebody kept the video that they used to project on the big screens back before VHS recorders were even a thing. And so I could now sit through the entire concert with actually good sound. Then honestly, it wasn't that great a concert. But I'd love, I mean, Led Zeppelin's a fantastic band, but that's the only time I saw them. So I'd love to say that that was one of them. Uh, I do have to go to another concert that I think is, is really important uh, in my development because it was um, it was just really, really super cool to see them again after only seeing them once. I my one of my favorite bands of all time was the Sex Pistols. And mm -hmm. they are incredibly influential. So many bands were influenced by them, and the music was so incredibly great. And I saw them in Toronto when I was living in Toronto, working there. My my nieces came out and I took them who were they were big punk ads to see the Sex Pistols reunion tour in 1996. It was the Filthy Lucre tour and it was a great concert. And at the end of it, we were walking on this. You know, there's just like this little bridge that went over kind of a little artificial lake they had in the venue. It was summertime. It was warm. It wasn't too hot. Everybody was great. And we could see this building, which was next to the stage. And we saw the Sex Pistols come up. And, and they were in the window and they were looking out at us. And I said, hey, girls, there's, there's, there's Johnny Rotten. Wave to him. And they waved to him and Johnny waved back. <laughs> it was like their biggest thrill ever. That was cool. But the best Sex Pistols concert was in 2003 at the Greek Theater. My brother Dave came down to visit me at, uh, in L.A. We went up to the Greek Theater in L.A. We went up 5,000 feet up in the air, whatever the hell it is. And they came in and, and ripped that place apart. Steve Jones, Johnny Rotten, or Johnny Lydon, um, <clears throat> Glenn Matlock, and uh, the drummer, whoever the hell the drummer is, I forget. And they were great. They blew it away. It was a fantastic concert. Dave saw some actress girl there that he had seen on TV and said hi to her. And that's, you know, that's the weird LA experience to go to these things and you see people. So that, that was a great concert. It's a memorable night. Um, I just remember Johnny had this big folder with a big sign on it that said the book of war. And he was talking about how, if you're going to go to war, you have to go to war. And I was like, I don't know what the hell he's saying, but it's incredible. And the pistols are great because they made one album. They recorded like 12 songs they got up, they played their 12 songs, and they leave. And that's it. They don't, they don't fill it in. They don't add anything new. They just play the 12 Sex Pistols songs, and it's over. And it was fantastic, and I will not forget that night. So the Sex Pistols at the Greek Theater in 2003 with my brother Dave. Good stuff. I, I'm jealous of you guys. You got to see a lot of those concerts. You know, long time. Well, that was recently, more recently. But yeah. When they initially came to the U.S. in 76 – uh, we, had, we had tickets to go see them. They were going to play at, a, at, uh, at some place in Seattle, like the arena, the U.S. The arena, and, and we had tickets to go, and they broke up in San Francisco literally two days before they were supposed to play Seattle. So I thought, oh, shit, now I'm never going to be able to see the Sex Pistols. But here I am, 20 years later, I was able to see them, and then see them again five, six, seven years after that. It was great. Okay, uh, Candice, your number four concert experience of all time. I hadn't thought about this, but somebody else mentioned it, um, and it, he really does do a good concert, and uh, this is Ted Nugent. Um, uh, yeah. I saw him back in, uh, well, this is fairly recently. It was about yeah. 12 years ago at the Silver Mountain Resort, and they used to have a concert venue up at the top, and you had to take a gondola ride all the way up and it uh, was during the summer so you know it was uh, nice and warm but 
he uh, brought his entire um, collection of 50 caliber weapons. And I'll tell you, there isn't anything quite as impressive as Ted Nugent, who basically can still rock it down. And yeah. it yeah. was a magnificent view from the top of the mountain. Uh, I don't even know if it's there anymore, but uh, it was the last concert uh, at that particular venue because they had to, I guess, bring in some water or something so that they continue to have shows there. But um, so that's my number four, my Ted Nugent story. And, um, you know, anybody that has ever t seen Ted in concert, you're a lucky person because yeah. he, he has continued to rock on, even though he's, he's older than we are, <laughs> Mike. And, uh, the yeah. guy is tireless and, uh, he just has uh, got a great, a uh, lot in life. He's a staunch conservative, really backed up uh, Trump, you know, and uh, he continues to be an advocate for uh, firearms. And he does do a really lot of service. He has a huge ranch down on the uh, the border of um, Texas and um, and uh, Mexico. And he's got, got a thousand acres and he has his own breeding program for different animals. And he brings uh, disabled vets on and he uh, takes them out on a hunt and accommodates them. And I mean, he's just got a heart of gold. Yeah. Um, can I tell you my brief, a Ted Nugent concert story, please? I'm just going to, that's my show. I can tell it. All right. Um, so my experience with Ted Nugent, I, you know, I, everybody knew Ted in the seventies when we were growing up and, and everybody liked him and, and stuff, but I was a huge fan of cheap trick and I was a, Big fan of them, as you guys probably know from the T-shirt, because I'd seen them open for Kiss in 76, and I they just gotten better and better. And they'd just done an album called Heaven Tonight that had come out, and they were playing in a concert. And get this lineup. This lineup, this is not one of my top five concerts, but it was ACDC with Bon Scott, the original singer, their first tour of the U.S. Cheap Trick was the middle act, and Ted Nugent was the finale, the headliner. Two nights in a row at the Coliseum. By the end of it, I think I suffered, you know, absolute permanent hearing loss. But um, I think the day before the first concert, or the day of maybe even, there was a, a record signing at Tower Records, and it was Cheap Trick. And I was like, fuck, you know, I love Cheap Trick. Me and Dave, we got to go. So we went down, and we brought our Heaven Tonight albums, right? And we were going to get them signed. And we're in there, and, and you know, the guys are all there, except the drummer, Bunny Carlos, wasn't there. But Robin Zander was there, was the nicest guy in the world. Tom Peterson stoned out of his mind, and Rick Nielsen, the funny-looking guitar player guy, right? And uh, they're telling us, oh, yeah, we just got back from Japan, and we're really huge there, and we recorded a live album, and you can only get it on import, but we think we're going to release it in the U.S. at, you know, I don't know why. He's saying, like, I don't know why, and it's like, well, it made you stars, right? But anyway, um, about halfway through, as we're in line, Ted Nugent shows up and I'm in the front at the front of the line by this point. And he starts grabbing people's albums. He grabs my heaven tonight album out of my hand and signs it. And I'm like, I don't want you to sign my album, Ted. So he stole my album, signed it. And then the second night of the show, uh, we sat behind the stage or the first night we sat like behind the stage where we could see what was going on backstage. And, and the whole time cheap trick was playing Ted Nugent was up on stage on the side behind the speaker stack and just giving Rick Nielsen, the guitar player, just a ration of shit. Now, you know, one thing about Rick Nielsen is that he can shoot 
guitar picks with incredible accuracy over distances of like 50, 100 feet. And it's amazing. By the end of their set, Ted Nugent had like, I'm not kidding, 30 guitar picks in his big mop of hair. <laughs> Rick was just pelting him with the guitar. He'd be some playing and bam like that and it would go right in Ted's hair. Great experience, great concert. And Ted destroyed my hearing. I don't think I ever went to a Ted Nugent concert again because after ACDC, Cheap Trick and Ted Nugent, who needs to go to another Ted Nugent concert? It was amazing. Anyway, funny story. I just wanted to share it. Blake, your number four concert experience of all time. Yeah, okay. Um, number four. I want to go with um, Tenacious D. Uh, <laughs> to Will Turn. So of the 13 concerts that I saw in 2019, I'd say two are not really, I don't listen to like Weird Al very often. I do, I do like some of the Tenacious D songs, but as the performers, as the entertainment going on, and there's actually some really uh, great uh, instruments too. I mean, they actually had some really talented guys in addition to um, Jack, you know, Kyle and uh, Jack Black. They do have three very talented people. They do play a lot of very good music. They do kind of a, I don't know, fake heavy metal kind of a thing, but it's it's just a really entertaining show. I had a good time. It was, it was a long story. I had a pick, I had like a, a voucher for a, a concert and I had to choose between Tool and Tenacious D, and I know a lot of people would have said, why didn't you go see Tool? I've seen Tool before. But, yes, Tenacious D, I hadn't seen him live, and I was I, I really just, I, I love the show. I was just sitting there smiling, having a good time, and, um, yeah, good stuff. So, Tenacious right. D, before. I just realized I shouldn't have brought this subject up because I have way more concerts that I thought were spectacular than I have room for on this list. But I'm going to go with number three. Again, I got to go back to ancient history, guys. I have to go back to, like, 1975. And Elton John at the Seattle Center Coliseum, who, if you don't know, it's impossible to describe to people how big Elton John was in the 70s, in the early to mid 70s, because there's no comparable artist today. Artists don't get that big anymore. But basically, there had been Elvis, there had been the Beatles, there was the Rolling Stones, and then there was Elton John. And he was went through this phase where he could have burped into a microphone for three minutes and it would have gone to number one. And, um, and I mean, he couldn't miss and his songs were amazing. He's an incredible performer. It was before his drug problems really set in. But one thing you can say about Elton, you know, I don't know. I hope he's not on any of the Epstein flight logs. I hope uh, because he's such an amazing performer and such a talented guy, but he came out and he played a set. This was right after the, Captain Fantastic album had come out and right before an album called Rock of the Westies, which was coming out like the next day. And two albums in the same year. It's pretty amazing. The guy could produce. But he sang an hour and a half of songs from his first album up through Mad Men Across the Water, which was five albums worth of material. Hour and a half. Then he takes a 30-minute break. And by the way, he thumbs up to me when he left the stage. And, and then he comes out and does two more hours of everything from like Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and all of his famous hit series thing. And it was uh, it, it was three and a half hours worth of music, probably a four hour experience total, no opening band. The guy's an amazing performer. I'm sure he's done better concerts. I know Dave has seen him just with just a piano and I think Ray Cooper on percussion and he was amazing, but that that's a concert I will never, I will not soon forget. It was, uh, I still haven't forgotten that after 40 years. 
And uh, it was an incredible show, and the guy's an incredible talent. And I see a lot of people saying they saw Elton, and yeah. Yeah, this is back when he could actually still run around and jump around and be a crazy man on stage. So my number four or number three is Elton John, Rock of the Westies Tour, Seattle Center Coliseum in October of 1975. Nice. Even the month. Uh, Candice, your number three best concert of all time. Oh, boy, I'm really torn. I'm like you. I've gone to so many that uh, it's hard to really pinpoint. Okay, yeah. so i got to come up with a number three. Um I'm going to go with the cream and I, I swear to God, I saw cream. them in the day cream, you know, when the, when it was the beginning of the beginning and it was down in long beach at the uh, civic auditorium, tons of incredible concerts. And I sat right behind them because they used to be the concert venue uh, was oval. And so they put chairs down at the bottom and everybody ended up like standing up and pressing towards the stage. But if you sat right behind them, you had perfect sound because the acoustics were good. And I had the same experience so with, that you did, uh, Mike, at the Kingdom. And I saw the Stones there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. Oh, wait a minute. 1982, I want to say. Yeah. That, um, was I was early there. On and, I was yeah. there. It was miserable. The, cl the Clash opened for them, right? Yeah, the class was there, and um, I was like stage front. I was in the front row, and wow. and they had a little runway that came out, you know, where um, you know the the dancing went on. And I mean, it was a good concert, but I swear the echo was so bad yeah. that it was like you were hearing, you know, echo off the back and off the sides, and you know, you just can't stand that kind of stuff. So, so I'm going to go with the cream at Long Beach. I also have to throw in that I saw. Uh, Stephen Stills there. I saw Jethro Tull there. I saw um, the Eagles play down there. I saw Leo Kotke play there. And it, it just was a place that, that in L.A., that's where you went to go to concerts. And then yeah. afterwards, you would leave the arena. It was right on the coast. And then you would stumble out because you were so stoned, you couldn't really even see what was in your surroundings. And you would walk on the beach with your friends, and there was a a huge installation right off the coast that was a uh, an oil refinery and it looked at night like disneyland and it was like i just remember this in such a profound way coming out from seeing eric clapton and yeah. ginger baker and you know i mean i was just it was full immersion and uh i will never forget that so that's my number three and it gets better it's a great pick. Glenn Gladick says, Mike, I was at that Led Zeppelin concert. Glenn, everybody in Seattle went to that fucking concert. Okay. It's like there's like 78,000 people in there at the time. It set a record for the most people ever who attend a concert. Okay. Blake Wally, your number three all time Man, favorite concert. Tough competition. You guys have seen some legendary shows. I guess I never even had a chance to see as one of those. I was too young. But number three, I'm going to go with one when, when I was younger, when I was more of a uh, metal guy. But then that was kind of the transition in the 90s to the alternative media or alternative media, the alternative um, uh, rock or whatever they called it. But it was it was grunge. It was Nirvana. And one of my best friends was a big fan of Beck. And oh, yeah. I was kind of yeah, totally awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, and at the time it was like in the early '90s or mid '90s. I wasn't quite that sold on him, but I went because it was you know a friend of mine, and you know I like the loser song and whatever. But he just came out with that Odalay uh, album. And so, yeah, I went with my friend because he wanted someone to hang out. And I, I went. It was at First Avenue in Minnesota, um, where, where Prince uh, was his old venue. Um, and I, I really loved the show. And I really liked uh, – he kind of won me over. And I kind of got into the alternative uh, music scene at that time. And I think that's one of the best uh, albums, I think. I kind of represent one of the alternative rock bands of, of, or albums of the 90s. So, uh, yeah. And I, I actually have seen them two other times, including last year. I saw a fantastic concert in Orange County with uh, Cage the Elephants, another one of my favorite bands who opened up for Beck. That was a spectacular show. But I'm gonna still going to go. I think it's like 95, 96. Odelay, Beck, First Avenue, Minneapolis. Fantastic show. Thanks, Beth. All right. I've been to the first Ave. I saw Cheap Trick there, Catalia. Yeah. I saw Cheap Trick there. Of course, I've seen Cheap Trick, and I hate to say this, at least 40 times. I mean, at wow. least 40. Because they're always at some street fair for free. You know, <laughs> I, I was down at the Long Beach Indy Car Race a few years ago. Guess what? Cheap Trick's playing the concert. Oh, let's go watch them for the 40th time. It took me like 30 years to finally hear He's a Whore live. But yeah, Cheap Trick is from Rockford, Illinois. Uh, Catalia nice. for so yeah absolutely that's awesome i even saw them last year at state fair yeah you really can't miss them because they're all always around um okay i i know who my number one is because it was it was an experience again from the distant past that that can't be changed um that can't be topped but i have a number two to pick now and this is so hard because there are so many great concerts that i've been to that i i want to talk about and again a lot of them are from um from back in the day, but I, you know, there's, there's, um, Queen and Thin Lizzy played in like 1977 or something this little place called the arena in Seattle, which I'm not even sure still exists. It seats about 4,000 people. And, um, Queen was at the height of their popularity. I was drunk out of my mind on black velvet and I got there and I was not more than eight or 10 feet from the stage. Now, if you guys don't know who Thin Lizzy is, there were an Irish band besides you two, the only other Irish band ever and Clonad is Thin Lizzy. And they were bizarre because they were basically an American classic rock group headed by a black Irish dude, a half black Irish dude named Phil Linnett, who eventually died of a heroin overdose in the early eighties. But they played great classic rock, and they used to have this double guitar solo thing, which was phenomenal. So I liked them, and they were opening for for Queen, and and they were just absolutely fantastic. And then you know we went running off. Dave had during the break between the two bands, Dave goes off to the men's room. My brother, who I'm with all the time, right, and he bumps into Phil <laughs> Phil Linnett because because the way the band had to exit, they took him right past the public restrooms it was pretty bizarre but then like the queen concert started and the first song was tie your mother down and, and i just it exploded into my ears and like freddie mercury was like five or six feet away from me at the most it was really really awesome and that was a great concert but it's not my number two oh. uh i have to give this is a more recent show i mean i've been to so many i mean tom jones in vegas where my friend got me hooked up and i got to go see tom jones and mgm at, at the MGM, yeah. No, no. Yeah. I was a bartender in that venue at the Hollywood Theater. That's a work for oh, yeah. Capitol yeah, yeah, yeah. What's this yeah, like? Oh, 
This is like 03. I took my then at the time wife. We went and saw Tom Jones. It was an awesome night. Elvis Costello at the joint. Duran Duran two or three times at the joint. Duran Duran at Staples Center. Duran Duran in a nightclub. I've seen Duran Duran in about four different nightclubs, which is awesome. Uh, but I think the 2007 concert, I believe it was here in Seattle, the reunion tour of the police. And again, it was because, it was as ironic I'm wearing this shirt tonight because I did not expect this to be the subject. Because back in the day, in the 80s, I never saw them. I, I kept having plans to go. I'd get sick. I'd sell my tickets to somebody else. I had something else to do. And I just kept missing them. And then all of a sudden, in the mid-80s, they shocked you and they broke up. And I'm like, fuck. Now I'm never going to see the police. And I saw Sting. But Sting's not the same. You know why? Because Sting does all this jazzy crap, right? He ruins all the old police songs. But I thought, wow, they're back together. And I have a chance to go see them. So we went. And it was an interesting show because I think it was only their second show of the tour. And they didn't really, they hadn't rehearsed very much. And there was this really hilarious moment at the end where they were playing Every Breath You Take, and then they went off on some long jam, and they had no idea how to get out of it. <laughs> and they were just, like, desperately looking at each other. And then at the end of it, you could, you could again, because it was a wide-open stage, you could see, I could see from my elevated seat, I wasn't behind the stage, but you could see, um, you know, back behind the stage where they, their entrance staircase was, where they come up on stage. And they got back there. Not, they, first of all, they were laughing their asses off. And then it was like Stuart... Uh, Stuart Copeland and Sting got to the, the stairs and you know the rumors always been that they hated each other and couldn't get along and man you could see they were like you go first no you go first the tension between those two guys was so palpable and I thought wow this is really fascinating but the concert was great they, they had a few mistakes but they sounded great it was great to hear all those songs live played the way the police arranged them for the first time so I have to put the police at the Seattle Center Coliseum, or it might have been Vancouver. I don't remember. Dave, could, Dave will correct me later. Um, that was a great concert, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And then I saw him again later on that tour in Vegas, completely different set list, but it was still great. So the police, because of the reunion factor, just like the Sex Pistols, my number two concert of all time. So nice. Candice, your number two concert of all time. Well, I'm going to go now with the, uh, the Balladeers. Um, I'm really sort of uh, plugged into that particular genre. And uh, I got to see Harry Chapin at the Paramount. And I don't know, it's he's been gone for a long time, but um, if you ever pull out his music and really listen to it, um, I think there were people that liked Harry Chapin because he was a good person, but also that he just told a dang fine ballad. And that was um, a real event. It was in the 80s and uh, just in the old days of the Paramount where, and he came out afterwards, he had done a book and uh, he signed my book uh, that I purchased. And he was uh, just sitting out there on the sidewalk signing books. You know, this is a real person with a real talent who just dealt with things in yeah. a very real way. And I just will never forget that. The, the weather was magnificent, um, and we all just, you know, stood around and talked to him just like he was another person. And and that, to me, is it's like you say, your backstage sort of things. And uh, for this, for myself, it's this personal, you know, sort of relationship uh, to the people and uh, the songs. So Harry Chapin, my number two at the Paramount in Seattle. Harry Chapin. And Paramount is a marvelous venue to go see people. I saw Elvis Costello there 
you know, it was a $1 concert. So that was a great show. Um, I saw so many great shows there, Heart, other people like that. It was really amazing stuff. So, And that's where the expression sitting up in the cheap seats came from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They had uh, the seats at the top. Uh, this is the old venue before they, you know, refurbished it. But um, they were so close together that you could barely squeeze your knees between the, the seat in front of you. And it was like straight up in the back. And uh, they, they literally were the cheap seats. They were like 10 bucks to get up there and to see a whole concert. And I saw um, several bands there that uh, um, were really fantastic. And the acoustics were beyond compare. I mean, it was the same no matter where you sat in the venue. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, Dick Pangalo, I wanted to correct you. I don't think that Elton John concert was June 10th. I think it was in October because he typically toured in the fall when he came to the U.S. Also, the single Island Girl had just come out and the follow-up album, Rock of the Westies, was going to come out. He said, I remember distinctly, on Monday, and I believe that came out in October. I'll have to check Wikipedia, but I think you have the date wrong and I have it right. Okay, so are we up to our number one now? Is that where we're at, number one? I think I've got number two two left oh, you get number two okay you're number two blake sorry okay uh, that's a tough one i'm gonna I, i'm gonna go with Ozfest. i think it was i, I saw two of them and i'm kind of torn i guess i'm gonna go with the second one so I, I went to two of them this was in minnesota actually one there was supposed to be the first uh oz fest that was a huge deal uh this big metal thing and you know ozzy coming back black sabbath was gonna yeah. play and I was going to go see them at the um, – there's a venue over in Wisconsin on the Apple River. I forget the name of the, the town. But it's a great place to go see live outdoor music. But Marilyn Manson was there, and so the people of the town started freaking out. I think it's called Somerset was the name of the town. And so they said, no, we can't have Marilyn Manson here. Forget about it. So they had to move the concert to the Metrodome in Minneapolis where I saw it, and they did have a spectacular lineup. But then the next year, they just didn't have Marilyn Manson, but Tool was there. So I got to see Tool as also uh, Motorhead. So it was good to see uh, Lemmy Kilmeister. Uh, it wasn't as great of a lineup, but it was still a great show because it was the first time I actually got to, like, you know, camp out, spend a night. It was like a, you know, two day thing. So I'm going to go with uh, Ozfest number two, it was probably like 1998 or something. But uh, number two, 1998. <laughs> Sounds awesome, though. Sounds awesome. Good stuff. Definitely good. Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, the only time I saw the Stones was that same concert in the Kingdom. Um, I I may be wrong. The Clash may have opened for the Who at the Kingdom. I don't remember. But that Ooh, was, I got to see the Who last year. I thought I was. I thought I opened for one of them. Uh, I saw the Who last year with my brother, and it was it was sad for reasons I'm about to uh, elucidate. The thing is, when you get to number one, it's like there's so many concerts I could pick. I mean, I, I've seen I've seen Cheap Trick, like I said, forty times. Always a great performance. I Robin Zander's an incredible singer. Elvis Costello at the Joint. Um, you know, all these different Duran Duran shows. Uh, were great. U2, I, you know, I'm a big U2 fan and um, I've seen them oh, probably 15 times, 16 times if I went and counted all of them way back to the war tour when nobody knew who the hell they were. And, um, you know, but I think the best performance I ever saw from them was at the Seahawks stadium in like 2011 or maybe 2012. It was the makeup tour for the, the 360 tour, the one with the big giant claw, the stadium tour because Bono had 
you know, the, his back problem where he almost was paralyzed and then they fixed him up and he came back and that was too bad because that show, that's like the best show they've ever played that I've ever heard. They were perfect. And people were, it was like, it was the most perfect summer night. Temperature was perfect. You're sitting there in a t-shirt. You're not sweating, but you're not cold. It's perfect. The music was great. The set list was really, really good. Not as, not perfect, but and they were really good, but people weren't that enthusiastic. And I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's allergy season in Seattle. Everybody was probably on Benadryl. That was a great concert, but I can't pick a U2 concert. And I can't pick the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I've told that story before about the Chili Peppers show when at the Ramones 30th anniversary at, across the street from Capitol Records at some club in in uh, in L.A. And then all you know different concerts I've seen at Vegas and different shows I got to see um, – in LA, uh, all the times that I w went there, there's so many great shows that I could I could talk about. But the one that sticks in my head and will never come out of my head, and where I'm the first concert I'm going to go see when I get to heaven is is relive this concert. It was the Who in 1976. There's actually two performances. I don't. I, Dave always corrects me on this. There were two shows: one in March and one in October at like tail ends or of of the same tour, and. Granted, you know, I didn't know about methamphetamine then or cocaine. I don't know where the energy came from on that stage, but it, it got to everybody. It, it, the, the place, there was a, a point in the show where they're doing something from Tommy, you know, see me, feel me bit. And the, the lights came on and like illuminated the whole arena and the place exploded like nothing I've ever seen. And the energy you felt was just unbelievable. And there is... um. There is a video taken from um, like a Detroit show on that same tour. And you can kind of feel like how incredible the concert was and how it built and built and built. But I've just, I've never experienced explosive energy coming, you know, going back and forth from the stage to the audience and from the audience to the stage. Like I experienced at that show. I mean, it was like, to me, it was actually, I was probably 16. It was like my first spiritual experience. And every time I meet somebody that was at those concerts, they're like, Dude, it was like a spiritual experience and I just totally memorable. I can't say enough about it. If uh, it, the, the who now is old and they're boring and there's no energy left. But man, back then it was explosive like nothing I have ever seen. And I have to say that they are the greatest rock and roll band I have ever seen live, period. So that's my number one. Wow, Candace, totally. who's your number one? Oh boy, this is again. I'm I'm really reaching here, but um, there was a venue in downtown Seattle, and uh, I used to go there all the time. Uh, it was called the Pioneer Bank, and it was right down on the corner in the um, Pioneer Square, and they had uh, jazz concerts. And you know, it was like I was actually at a concert in the '70s, and I got to see Dizzy Gillespie. And I don't think that you can get close to that because this was a living legend. He was a legend back in the 50s. And he came into Seattle and we saw all sorts of venues um, that were in that particular genre, you know, and it was, uh, it was a small club. Uh, the acoustics were great and we got served. Uh, food, if you wanted it, um, you know, drinks, and it was just casual seating. There were, uh, you know, chairs all over the place and couches, and, you know, it just was one of those places I remember 
from the old days that uh, I just, you know, it's legendary. And uh, um, who's the guy that uh, played the clarinet and was so famous for a while? He started there. He started doing his career. Um, and, and then who's that? Kenny G. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny G. Exactly. And uh, mm -hmm. he was like a kid and he was there because that was his living legend was, you know, Dizzy. And, and so there were, you know, a lot of people that just stopped by that used to play clarinet and uh, saxophone. And, you know, this, this was uh, really kind of cool. And uh, so that's what my number one is, is a smaller format, less in the rock genre and more in the jazz. So I broke it up a bit. And I just want to give a nod to Yes, because I really did enjoy that concert immensely. <laughs> you knew I'd tease uh, you, though, if uh, you knew I'd tease you if you said yes. So you... I know. I, I really wanted to avoid that. So I just changed <laughs> it up. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, Josh Orion, Foreigner, uh, just put on their records because they sounded literally exactly like their records. So I saw them live back in the day, and they just... It's like Kings of Leon. I love Kings of Leon, but just listen to their records because in concert, they stand there and they play their songs and they sound exactly like their records. Blake, your number one, your number one concert experience of all time, your favorite concert you've ever been to. The concert you're going to go to first thing when you get to heaven. What's the first concert you're going to? Oh, man, that's 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 tough. But this is more of a, a personal one for me. And one of my favorite bands, not necessarily uh, one of the big uh classic venue but um next this is at the ace hotel this is last year's my first concert so i went to 13 concerts last year uh in la as my first year i moved to la and um this is the first one I, that i saw so i was there i was i was broke i was trying to you know start my life over building up again i, I didn't have a, a lot of money but my favorite band uh was was playing uh was the dandy warhols out of uh, good old Portland, and I, I'd seen them in, in Las Vegas. It was okay, but I went to uh, you know L.A. They were playing again, and I didn't know if I was gonna go or not, and I didn't have enough money. Or and I had actually went to the uh, venue, so I didn't want to pay the. T I didn't have enough money to pay the Ticketmaster fees, so I went to the actual concert to show up and pay cash, so I didn't have to pay all the service fees and stuff. I got yeah, in the concert. Great. Personal, yeah, one of my favorite bands because I've been after like Pandora and, and hearing all the stuff. I think they're one of the most underrated. They're just they're really a fantastic group. Uh, tons of good songs. And at the end of the concert, so I'm I'm enjoying this. Yeah, so many good songs that I like. And then at the very end, um, the, the keyboardist uh, is she's she's playing the uh, you know our little uh, outro music. And then she says, hey, you know, you guys want to come up and, you know, hang out with us. It's at the Ace Hotel. You want to come up on the on the roof. We're going to have a little after party and hang out. And I was like, yeah, I was like so excited. So I actually got to like hang out with them too. you know, meet and greet, take pictures, hang out and drink and all that good stuff. So on a, on a personal level, so I've gone to, you know, plenty of concerts in my life, but I've only, you know, actually gone backstage uh, a couple of times not to actually, like, hang out with people. But so that was that was a, a big deal, you know, per, on, a, on a personal note for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad I went and got to hang out. And uh, that that's it. So Dandy Warhol's number one. Wow. LA. That's cool. 
that's cool. At yeah. least your selections are somewhat modern. But I'd like to pick more recent concerts and more modern bands, but they're just not as much fun as those old memories. So, oh, uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. I got yeah, I got to see the Who last year. I didn't even count that in my thirteen because yeah, I was believe me, the nineteen seventy six experience was so much better than the oh yeah two thousand and twenty experience uh, twenty nineteen experience. Was Although they, you know, I mean, what's that? Was Keith Moon still there? Um, well, yeah, those two shows. Keith Moon was the drummer. Yeah, Don Axel yeah. was the bass player. Uh, the Roger Daltrey, and then I saw them again in 1980, where they were really good. With uh, Kenny Jones, I think was the drummer from the the Faces. They were also still really, really good. They're not quite as good. And then saw them in '82, and they seemed older and slower. And then, good God, what is it? Forty years later, I saw them again. There was yeah. just a concert here. It was. Uh, it was. I just was talking to Dave. I just looked, and I don't know. I looked on something. It's like, hey, you know, uh, Noel Gallagher of Oasis, who I love, oh, yeah. and uh, the Who. I'm said, we got to go. It's only forty bucks. Boom, we went down. It was great. Yeah, um, I got lucky. And somebody is saying in the chat room, Kenny Loggins, he, he was there too. So I, I played at a, or actually I was working, I was bartending at an event for uh, like uh, Rock for Teen Cancer or something. And yeah. I didn't really want to go do it or anything because I was like, oh, it's, it's a nice cause. But I didn't think I'd really make any money or anything. But then I decided to take it. It was like a Friday night in Beverly Hills. And I go and it's it's Rock for Teen Cancer. And it was it, the Who, uh, the Foo Fighters, yeah, King, and then Kenny Loggins. Yeah, you're yeah. bartending, and there's all these like A-list celebrities running around, and who is just like, wow. I saw yeah, KC in the sunshine. I mean, there was a lot of like cool stuff. Uh, KC in the sunshine. I can probably yeah. say I never sat through that one. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Barry Manilow was huge in his time, but nobody took him seriously. Uh, Kim Brownwell, you, Simon says he has an alien child. Visits monthly. Monthly is. I will tell you this about Simon Parks. Simon, his his dad was MI six. His mom was MI five, and he knows people. He does know people. So when he says I'm hearing this, he's hearing it from the real sources. So, yeah. all right, guys, uh, that is it. Thank you for coming on Saturday Night Live. Our next show will be Monday morning, me and Casey at 10 a.m. Huh? with Real News Live, unless something big happens tomorrow, in which case we will go with a live stream. Meantime, um, everybody have a great Sunday off and go Hawks against the 49ers. You know, we have our, our little... Um, our little uh, distractions. Ashley says, I got drunk at a casino a few years ago. There was a Fleetwood Mac cover band, but I swear they were top-notch. Ha-ha, yeah, I'll go now. Sorry, guys. Probably the cover band from uh, World's Greatest Tribute Bands. And by the way, my friend Joe Heyer has this amazing tribute band for U2, Hollywood U2. I like to say their motto should be even better than the real thing because they sound exactly like U2. His voice is perfect. And if you ever want a great, if you, if you like U2 and you can't go to a U2 concert, go see Hollywood U2 when they're in your town because they are absolutely amazing. We hope they get back to playing soon. Okay, for TV's Blake Wally, somewhere east of California. Blake, we really hope that you have a safe trip to D.C. We're going to be counting on you to keep us informed as to what's going on there. And for Candace Whitelight in Montana, the wonderful Candace White Light. Thank you guys for coming. Don't forget, like, subscribe, send us some love, all that stuff. We love you. We will see you again with some more real news on Monday morning. Thanks.